Hey there, it's Ben. It's impressive the small incremental changes a week can make. Patreon apparently a step back from introducing the changes that would make a $1 pledge cost $1.38 to make. This means our pledge levels here at the Hydean Way don't have to change, so yay! What this also means is that it showed me that I need to diversify the donation streams for the Hydean Way. To that end, we have a new coffee account, which can be found at ko-fi.com slash the Hydean Way. There's a link on the homepage, so it's easier to find than you would think. This is a service that allows you to make a one-time donation for a few dollars at a time instead of having to set up a long-term commitment. The feedback that we've been getting going into The Last Jedi has been amazing and really fun as well. We will have a discussion episode in the coming weeks, but it isn't right now since we're wanting to let people not be spoiled, and we always sort of do it a few weeks after just to let everything settle. And... We're wanting to take a look at how this new portion of the Star Wars universe can inform our RPG tables instead of being just a geek out over the show, which it's half that anyway. You've gone through a few of these with us. Lastly, I do want to give a shout out to Podrick Barrett for supporting us on Patreon. Thank you, and now on to the show. finish soldering the last few wires and tuck them behind a crudely installed panel on my new rocket boots. Sure, they may not look the greatest, and one of the thrusters in the left boot keeps threatening to fall off, but I'm confident they can fly. Bringing the Bogwing around under the slowly descending light cruiser, I'm glad that these things actually go into atmospheres so that Christine can jump out without a suit on. Looking up, I try to keep the ship pacing this airlock, making sure that we keep out of sight just under this cloud top. This is going to be an exhilarating tale from the Hydean Way. We're your hosts, Ben Yendel and Christine Chester. This week, we're looking at how to make failure interesting. Christine, this kind of came out of you talking about doing crafting and how failing crafting a lot of times just is boring. Like, it just doesn't feel... It just doesn't tell a very good story. Yeah, I was discussing this with a friend of mine who GMs for me, and we were just talking over the crafting rules, and he asked me, point blank, what do I not like about it? Like, I love I love how the threats and advantages work for it, but I hate how if you fail to craft something, all it results in, typically, is wasted credits. All right, you lost those materials, maybe you learned something for the next time you attempt it, but otherwise, like, where's the story there? So you tried to make your combat armor or whatever, you have this useless piece of metal afterwards. <laughs> when you're building things, when you're crafting, when you're making things, as you're making it, you can generally tell halfway through or before the end, is this thing going to work? If you aren't able to tell, it's something that looks pretty close to what actually is going to work. And unless you're talking something amazingly failure with huge, huge amounts of, like, four or five uncancelled failure or a despair, it's not going to, like, blow up in this shower of sparks. You're going to still have something there. Mm -hmm. Even just sort of thinking of building a computer, which is amazingly geeky nowadays, again. Okay, say you fry one of the few boards that you're putting in or fry the optical drive. You still have a lot of other parts there that are left over. You still have, like, the power supply. You still have maybe the motherboard. Maybe it was only the chip that cooked off. Mm -hmm. There's still many pieces to the computer that you have. Wasting gobs of money on 
the whole when only a part of it fails. It sort of seems punitive. Yeah. There's that aspect to it. Then there's also the, just from an RPG perspective, specifically a, you know, Star Wars FFG perspective where you typically use one role to encapsulate a larger process. Mm -hmm. The system as it currently stands seems to encourage trying again. There are certain options where you can build that schematic or lower that difficulty or get that boost. I don't like that for this system. I like the idea of that your your efforts are encapsulated in this one thing or for can there to be a story from it. Like the one exception for me in terms of the crafting system are lightsabers in terms of how I feel about it. Because for whatever reason, like it's how important that is as this almost like religious artifact to for sensitive characters. There's a story to be told in your failure. If you fail to build your lightsaber, what happened? <laughs> Have you not learned enough? Are you lacking confidence? Is there is a dark side creeping over your shoulder? Like, there's ways to spin that. But I just, I haven't found compelling ways to do that when you're, say, the party mechanic building a blaster or a suit of armor in the same way. Something that you just said really sort of sparked out like several different thoughts in me. When you mess up building a lightsaber, there's a story to it. It's something like something within you isn't quite right, or your path forward isn't quite proper, and you don't have that moment of calm, that moment of true connection to the Force that is required to build this lightsaber, because it is pretty much a piece of you that is mechanical in form. Even in production line assembly, there's still an element of crafting. There's still an element of yourself that goes into it. Even if you're building a hundred of the same thing at once, it's rote, your mind goes numb, it's going to be an easy check. But first off, there's a chance that you're going to mess up a percentage of them. And there's also, is your quality going to be good enough? That sounds more like business, not, not a story. Doing multiples, yes. Actually, this was something that... David said in the last episode, building something for the characters is essentially crafting a magic weapon in D&D. This is anything that a character is crafting, it is essentially a named thing. It is a actual piece of yeah. elevated equipment. Like how a named NPC then becomes something more than just shopkeeper number three. Or Stormtrooper number 67 that we shot. This is no longer just a blaster rifle. This is no longer just a suit of armor. I disagree with that. Really? Yeah, because I think, again, it depends on what you rolled or what story can be told around it. For an example, in the current game I've been playing, I play a mechanic character. Mm -hmm. And I have uh, terrible agility, but I'm actually pretty strong. And so after we'd been in numerous fights, I finally decided I was going to craft some kind of... Like, simple melee weapon. Alright. So, I settled on the club template, or the blunt weapon template, and I went to craft it, and my crafting role, like, I built this thing in no time at all, because I got, like, eight successes, but I had no advantages. I built a club. I built a, you know, I essentially grabbed a pipe. Yeah. Is what I ended up doing. Like, that thing does not feel like named weapon territory. It's basically, I crafted a truncheon for a little less money and it has a little worse stats like it doesn't feel <laughs> you know the only notable thing about it is well my character made it 
it's not epic in the same way that it would be if I had, say, rolled enough advantages that, oh, this, like, this club I made has Sunder, because I just made it out of some really hard metal aboard the ship, and I'm going to go to town with it. There's nothing unique about it without those advantages, or threats, to make it distinguishable. <laughs> I'll absolutely agree with that. That's entirely true. Though, there is still the connection to it being yours. Mm-hmm. Like, it's still being something that you have crafted. Even still, it's, okay, I have grabbed this pipe, and it's now something that I'm using to beat people with. But you can do that with any piece of gear to some degree. Like, to use an example from Heroes, Matu's sword is just a Vibra sword mechanically, but it's something special to him. It's when you start adding in the modifications, like what happened with Matu's sword. That's when it starts getting personality, like weighting the head of a pipe. Mm-hmm. Or putting spikes on the head of the pipe, like half of the baseball bats we see nowadays. <laughs> and now I can think about a Stranger Things, which is just wrapped up. <laughs> and I was thinking of The Walking Dead and all the advertisements I've seen with uh, the pacifier on it. Oh, yeah, with uh, with Lucille, which actually is a named weapon in that show. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm going at, though, is... Okay, sure, the base weapon may not be anything interesting, but that's also where I was intending to go with. Having a boatload of successes should impart something more than just being able to do it fast. Also, I kind of feel that a lot of this, okay, you've failed, but how badly did you fail? Like, was it just everything canceled out? Like, no successes, no failures? Versus it being a... I got four failures that are uncancelled and this eight advantage. I did want to ask you about that because I I might be wrong about this, but like from what I can recall reading the the core rule book, there's not much talk about like degree of failure the same way there is degree of success. But you've brought it up twice now. Like, how do you handle that difference when it comes up? For me, it all depends on how it narratively is going to happen. The reason why I look at degree of failure in a crafting check is because it seems to be a single representation of a construction. You aren't greatly provided with extra different branches on the path. It's how you're making the failure interesting. (laughs) I guess that's kind of the reason why I care about the degree of failure. Yes. You have failed. It doesn't matter if you just have all your successes canceled or whether it's five uncanceled failures. Net, mechanically, yeah, whatever you're trying to do doesn't work. But then from a narrative standpoint, why can't it be much more catastrophic narratively to have four (laughs) failures so that that particular method starts becoming at least narratively more of a failure than it being just not functioning. The mental image that's playing through my mind right now, let's say I made that crafting roll and I generated the four failures where I just, I could not, I could not make this club out of spare parts aboard this ship. The mental image that comes to my mind is like this horrible, like multi-metal, like duct taped construction where I'm like, Hey guys, look at the club I made. Everybody is making faces like that's not going to hold up. Yeah. And I like run out and I take into combat and first swing, the whole thing just falls apart. Yeah, that actually is pretty much what I'm thinking. (laughs) 
The club is one of those really interesting examples because... There's not really much to it. (laughs) Well, exactly. There's almost nothing to it. So, like, it's one step up from just grabbing a chair and trying to beat someone with it. Essentially, in doing the crafting, you're changing it from an improvised weapon to a proper weapon. At least for me, that's what sort of crafting a club is. Like, a blunt weapon is... I can punch someone with it. I can Mm -hmm. use it as a club. It's a pretty simple weapon, all in all. Yes. Doesn't matter whether it's a roll of dimes or whether it's a chair leg. One thing, while we're still on the topic of crafting, I thought was interesting on how you handled it. On Heroes, recently, Kith made Nima this variable energy shield. Uh-huh. As we talked about on the show, like you and I went back and forth a lot on that thing. But one of the things I liked and how you approached it was like the, the base abilities of that shield were awesome. Like, if that role had turned up and generated threat or even a despair, like, I could have happily have lived with it because the, sh- the base shield was so cool and it would have just been there were quirks in the system. And I liked how you you tweaked that because the, the base crafting rules don't really give you that many cool things right off of the bat. The entire negotiation, because that crafting was a negotiation before it was a role. Yes. The way that we ended up doing it was we came up with this concept, this high concept of, okay, well, it's this sort of wrist shield that then turns into this giant tower shield, like trying to replace the riot shield of Nima, which went out in a very wonderful fashion. It's got very, very banged up, crushed in doors, punched a bunch, shot by a full auto fire weapon. Yeah, and when that thing went down, it properly went down Mm -hmm. if this was a role-playing game on a computer it would almost have its own little cutscene. probably because who knows how many years she had it that thing before (laughs) it did its job amazingly well so we're trying to replace this it's also a contribution rank thing so this is already a Mm -hmm. monumental thing you approach me with the idea of i want to have a replacement for this and well here's this picture that leslie drew Because I posted to her. And this is the idea of what we had, is that it starts off as this little wrist thing where it's like in melee, and then since Nima's this bodyguard person, it's this variable thing that grows up to being this tower shield type thing, like the riot shield. Okay, this is very cool. Let's see how we can make this happen. Then it was trying to work with you and I on what the stats were going to be for the two different sizes. Yes. That was an interesting bit of back and forth and also trying to make it so that because there's always despairs and that I was trying to make it because the tower shield was so big, it might be straining the power supply. So I was wanting to have something that if enough threat or despair happened, it could fizzle out because, well, energy shield fizzling out sort of seems to be an energy thing. Yeah. And then we just had a miscommunication on that point because then I was worried that, oh no, on three threat, it burned out and then that's it for friends like these by shield. And you're like, no, no, it could be fixed or, you know, a new power pack could be installed. And I'm like, okay, I'm fine with that then. <laughs> it was essentially agreeing on the mechanics first and then essentially figuring out what the base stats were going to be, figuring out something that I didn't think was going to be incredibly overpowered something that you didn't think was going to be incredibly underpowered yeah because there was a few things where it's like that would be really cool but then wow this is a huge risk like what you're talking about i even pulled it back on some things like at one point you're like here here what about what if i was deflection three and i went ben that i'll tell you right now that's too much you're giving me too much 
So here's my question then, though. So we did the crafting role, and Leslie actually did awesome with it. She got, I think, a success, an advantage, and a triumph, which is really solid. But I'm wondering, like, had that moment, like, in that moment, if she had rolled failure, how would you have handled it? Now, core to this is... It's a contribution rank item. True. So for me, that means somehow you are going to actually get this. We had already discussed some of the mechanics. We knew what the stat block on this piece of equipment was. Mm-hmm. Now, the mechanic role on it wasn't just a formality. But if it had failed, I would have gone with it being pretty much a prototype. It would have worked for an encounter and then fizzled out. Mm. It would have been essentially a prototype. Like, in my day job, I deal far too much with this. But (laughs) prototypes, when they work, they're amazing. When they don't, they're frustrating as I'll get out. A crafter in this is going to be figuring out, okay, well, that didn't quite work, but the basic idea is sound. Maybe I've got to replace this bib and this bob. Then once I've done that, like, okay, this power supply is way too small for it. It just burnt out and went flying. We never saw it. Just turned into this little flare as it sort of then exploded over everyone's head. <laughs> really cool scene, shield shuts down, and Nima's diving for cover. Make it so that you do get it, right. but then if it was just sort of like a small failure, that's the reason why I'm thinking of like just canceling out, it would work mm-hmm. for an encounter and then self-destruct. Showing that you're on the right way and it will cost more to fix it. But the basic thing is mm-hmm. there. It's essentially a destroyed, completed thing. That kind of goes back to, so, so there's that, and then I also threw out my ridiculous, like, duct tape pipe example, but maybe that's a gooder way to approach it. Like you were saying before, you do end up with something at the end of this crafting process, and that helps tell a story where it's not just, oh, I tried to make the shield, it didn't work in the lab, I'm done. It helps push things forward, it can lead, it could lead to an amusing scene or a dramatic one if this object fails at the right time. And I like that. Like, that's a good way to handle it. Although, I almost feel like you then need would need to give the player or the crafter some little help next time. Like, maybe, you know, something you learn from it. Maybe you lower the difficulty by one. Uh, treat it like that. Like, if you had two advantages or something. No, exactly. Just, like, some little thing to incentivize the player to take the thing that they personally know, because they saw the dice failed and is going to fail in the field and tell a story with it that's the core of it that's the core of that's the core of the system that's the core of the idea Mm -hmm. is we take the failure and tell a story with it i've seen this in a few places and the sort of classic example is it's kind of like someone taking skullduggery (laughs) and trying to pick a lock on a door like okay sure you can mechanic it or you can skullduggery it skullduggering it is going to be a easier role but they mess up they get a couple failure and a couple advantage. Say this is something close to the old school lock where you actually have a through hole with it and you can hear something going on inside. Maybe a shadow moves in front of the door and you can no longer pick this lock because you have failed. That methodology of getting through this door is no longer available at this time. Maybe tomorrow you can try the same thing, but today, when it matters, you can't. But maybe you also hear, for the advantage... A window opening, to use an amazingly horrible metaphor. (laughs) But you can also do a twist off of your failure. Like, you even did this in Heroes, where Matu was busting open a door. He failed to bust open the door, but the door busted open anyway. Just, now there were a whole group of protocol droids waiting on the other side. And that's 
another way of looking at it. And again, this kind of goes back to the idea that I'm coaching off of with succeeding with a cost. Mm -hmm. That's the root idea of the threat advantage idea. Success with a boon, success with a threat, it's kind of in the names. But the idea is squeaking through. I keep on focusing back on this completely canceled out. No success, no failure. Mm -hmm. If you have an actual failure on the roll, that's one thing. But having nothing, nothing... I really try and focus in on doing a success with a cost. Trying to get through a door like that. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're trying to like brawn it or athletics it. Doing it but then taking a wound or two as it pumps back on you with the hydraulics or something like that. Or having it where you Mm -hmm. pratfall afterwards. It flies open so easy and you're not expecting it and you go twirling off and thumping over a chair. Creating this huge racket. Turning it from, no, you can't get the door open, to, you do, but there's a cost to it. And the other aspect is, is it plot relevant? Are they just trying to bust open the back door of this little shop so they can rob it? Or is this where, you know, your main boss is and where the mission needs to go? That does affect things, too. Or in the case of Matu, as you brought up, or is this, you're in the starting room of a giant dungeon if we don't get out well (laughs) we're not gonna get very far exactly and that's kind of the whole thing is well you guys were in the starting area of the entire adventure or at least that section if you didn't get through that well that's gonna be a pretty short adventure success with a failure success with a cost sometimes the action is going to still happen but it determines whether do you do this well and no cost to it or do you require a cost and that's what i sometimes do with failures is (laughs) i've done this a few times on heroes actually where it's failing and taking some like successfully doing something but taking a few wounds with it taking a few wounds or a piece of equipment gets damaged or other things i also have an example from my home game the one i actually gm for that came up just this last Sunday when we played, where our, our little uh, Chandra fan negotiator, tra- he's actually a traitor, was trying to resolve some of his obligation. He had basically something to trade to this crime boss that wants his head on a platter. And so he calls her up, and they're having this negotiation back and forth. He gives me this role, and it's two very good negotiators up against one another. And he fails with a couple advantages, and even the natural negotiators at, and then got like five or six failures, and then a buttload of advantages. It was just everything escalated with that natural negotiator role, and I immediately had to rethink my plans because it wasn't just, okay, she's going to, like, she's not interested in this deal, or she's going to get the upper hand here. And then turn to this bigger story thing is how I spun it, where <laughs> this particular trader is, well, he's very cunning. He's not, has no willpower, isn't very good at actually seeing through other people's lies, a little delusional at times. And so I spun that basically, where the crime boss he's talking to, like, flat out lies, accepts the deal, I'll rule, like, you know, as written and stuff. And... You know, I even let the player know, kind of, here's what's going on, but there's there's going to be this larger cost of, she's not going to stick with this. You, you can, com- like, the actual thing you were going for, you completely lost track of with that many failures. And then it was up to him with the advantages to try to spin it in other ways, because then he used it where, yes, she's going to come for him, but she's, like, the, the other guy he had captured will be her first target. She's got as more resources to deal with him and things like that. Just made the scene 
more in every respect. <laughs> Love that. That sort of jumps up as a really good example of, okay, failure, but also how do you make the advantage interesting? Mm-hmm. One of the things that I hate doing as a GM is the player is trying to do something and then just flat fails. The last thing I want to do is that being the lead balloon on the narration. Like, oh, tried this, failed, Mm -hmm. nothing. Even in combat, I really dislike that. In general skill roles, that just means the current thing doesn't work. Like what you're saying is, well, this negotiation doesn't go through the way you think it does. But then it Mm -hmm. has a chance of spinning into something else. And then, yeah, you get the other axis of advantage threat and turn it into this oh no well that didn't work out and well they're sort of guilting you into doing this other thing because you've got two or three threat on the roll as well and then of course there was a triumph but you failed and got this threat so how does that triumph work out <laughs> something something really nice happened. and it has to be related to the role yeah sometimes yeah triumph can work very well narratively as this other cool unrelated thing happens like, it can work. Or it can, in, in some respects, be the another way to go about success with a cost. Very true. Like, in the same session, our, our poor pilot could <laughs> not roll a success to save her life, but kept rolling triumphs. She got several examples of a failure with a triumph while she was trying to dogfight these two cloak-shaped fighters. They're, they're not very impressive, and they were not meant to be. And just, she was not rolling very well, and she was doing this, like, maneuvering through the forest of Gandalot. And these cloak shapes are chasing her, and everybody's going full speed and stuff. We just basically had this moment where, okay, she failed her piloting check with this triumph. So, yeah, she's going to run into one of these trees and damage her ship, and we're going to have a minor collision. But the cloak shape that's following her, well, he was staying a little too close, didn't know you were going to get that close, and uh, he's going to hit it too. And his ship's a lot less sturdy than yours. <laughs> oh, no, that's just perfect. Because, yeah, it's, you're still failing the role. You're, like, not successfully piloting. But you're also having something advantageous come from it. Like, the other possibility that was just sort of floating through my mind was you're now obscured. That's another way to go about it. Yeah, if a player came to me saying, yeah, I'm wanting them to also suffer the minor collision. All right, that totally works. Because, cool. And, again... It's because it's narrative to it. Or the, and this I think is a scene we've seen a lot of movies and stuff. Like you're talking about the obscuring. Maybe the, the triumph aspect is, all right, well, you managed to shake those two cloak shapes off your tail. And we have this moment where like the characters are breathing easy and okay, well, let's spin the ship around and go. And then you run into something else where it was, oh, we didn't realize there was also a shuttle coming in. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's hope that they don't signal those fighters to come back around. <laughs> Oh, I like that too, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of, how does a narrative grow from the role? This is kind of going back to a episode from a little while ago. Episode 167, as it were. It's where narrating what goes into the role has so much of an effect on what goes out of the role. Whether you're doing this really cool thing of having this Mandalorian who's just jumped through space, landing on a hangar bay as he pulls out his vibrosword and starts running towards his tactical droid. You've got an idea on what the heck's going to be happening from that. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, I swing my vibrosword at the tactical droid. Like, sure, there's just as many options from the two of them, but having the narration beforehand begets a lot of the stuff after. That's how you shape the scene. I guess that's the reason why I'd agree that, sort of going back to what we were talking around at the beginning, is... 
why crafting rules are so hard to narrate for a failure and evaluate for a failure. They're they're usually in a vacuum. Exactly. If we have a scene where, like, Kith is contraptioning something in the field, you know, she never failed any of those rules, but if she did... There would still be a story to tell. Exactly. Because we're in the thick of things and it and you know, the scene is we've got this stormtrooper sergeant firing, you know, full auto and Nima's protecting her as she's tweaking this thing to try to disable the droids in the area. Well, if she failed at that and knowing Kith got electrocuted, it would still tell a story, but if she's at her workbench on her ship, yeah, nothing's really going on about it. Like it it's harder to tell a story with it. Like I, I actually think Chris and Leslie did an amazing job with having Matu engage in the process of modding his sword mm-hmm. that was a really interesting scene when really it was her making a couple of mod rolls on a single attachment with it it becomes a bit of a story if you can make a crafting roll into a story if you can make wanting to pick the lock on this door okay now to bring my thursday group into things if i am attempting <laughs> to find a secret base that's out in the middle of the desert of ordmantel and i'm trying to find out what security group is working there and how much they have there's got to be a bit of a story to going into how you're doing a charm check to wheedle this out of someone yeah are you are you flirting with them are you buying them drinks are you like what how are you sweetening the pot you're like what's the scene that you're in for this are you just on the calm line and you've got to try to be really charming over that like it can help that that matters the setting matters in this particular case the player was wanting to go to the bar that their normal security forces were going to and then try and buy someone a drink and just sort of charm them that way which in the end would work out nice for them Mm -hmm. then it's okay tell me a story of how to get there and anytime that you come up with something that i'm thinking should be a check we're probably going to end up rolling on it yeah Going from I'm sitting on my ship to we're talking to a stranger in a company bar. There's a few dotted lines there. Or there's a few points on that dotted line that kind of need to get filled in. Mm-hmm. It's not saying that you can't do this. It's just we get to tell the story of how you got there. So an example of crafting checks that keeps going through that just started going through my mind as like a character who would just use it a lot. Have you ever seen the television show Burn Notice? Sadly, no, I have not. And it, basically every episode, at some point, Michael Weston crafts something. It could be a, a like a listening bug out of a cheap cell phone and like a watch battery. Or it could be, you know, he needs to make an example of a plastic explosive out of stuff he can buy in a, a Home Depot. I was thinking about that. And I actually can't think of any examples where the crafting check failed. But I know that's one where like if it did... He probably still would have brought it in the field. He wouldn't have known beforehand. And they also do a good job of telling a story every time he does this because he goes into at least a little bit of how did he get the materials for this thing? What is it? How long is it supposed to work? You know, kind of adds a lot of flavor to it if, okay, well, this was a child's cell phone to get this, you know, a listening device that is small enough, but also where the microphone is crappy enough that it's picking up everything Mm -hmm. as opposed to just the direct speaker things like that we may not know why but it's still a really fun example and then again that kind of goes back to a little bit of what i was saying is if we give this stuff a story it then becomes unique yes that's the reason why as you were saying crafting a hundred things that's business crafting one thing that's something one of my coworkers is generally the person in charge of actually building the first prototypes 
He's been doing this for many, many years. There's a running joke amongst most of my coworkers of he never builds it right in the first time. Something is always wrong. Something is always broken. Mm-hmm. Then we give it back to him, say, well, this obviously doesn't work. Make it work. He then reassembles it, and it works the second time. And that is the classic bit of that second construction is going to work perfectly forever. The third one, who knows? But the second one is going to be near perfect. Hmm. Some of it is the components are put in wrong. You name it, things have gone wrong. Well, he hasn't actually lit things on fire. (laughs) That's about it. (laughs) That's another direction you could go with him for telling a story. Hey, do I smell something burning back there? No, everything's fine. Where's the fire extinguisher? (laughs) Going to that example, it costs time. It may not cost credits, but it costs time. Which sometimes is more important. Exactly. With heroes right now, as of recording, the... Players are on a clock. Mm-hmm. You have uh, some time left. For want of discussion, let's say Kith was wanting to craft a droid. Taking a look at the droid crafting rules, that takes a boatload of time. More time than what y'all have. Yeah. <laughs> sure, with successes, you could speed it up and do that sort of thing. But from a practical standpoint, you're probably not going to be able to craft a droid that you don't have schematics for and are mass producing. Yeah. But there are things that Kith could do try and manufacture if you didn't have like 17 billion other things going on to try and craft like if kith was just sort of wanting to go off into her own little mechanic place and build everything she's got time to build things it's just does she have enough time to do that and other responsibilities yes time that's actually one of the things that i as a gm unless it's like flashing in front of me like in heroes I don't think of. I don't think of time as a resource. Well, usually there's not that that concern. For like a lot of RPG groups, you know, you're going to spend days or weeks or whatever on ship doing this or like sometimes even they're more often the the time in between sessions is nebulous. You, yeah. You're probably not going to track it exactly of, oh, it's been two weeks since his last job. It's just, okay, we're jumping in. And so that timetable is not always important. Other times it is like going back to where crafting rules can be interesting. Like what if you're in that situation of you're stranded on some planet or in a situation where you lost your weapon or like you need to put something together in a hurry. You need to turn an improvised weapon into something a little more functional. Well, then time matters a lot. Or if you're on the clock, like in Heroes, like you said. That's an amazing consideration. And yeah, there's sort of the in-session versus out-of-session roles and discussions. Right. Between sessions, you do want to have a bit of discussion on it, but if it's not impacting the player time management, Mm -hmm. how much is that role in the end mattering? Yes, you can put all this other, what's going on from the player's point of view, what's going on from the character's point of view, and everyone can put a lot of time and effort into it, and thus making it an important thing. But there's also the possibility of, well, I'm wanting to have this person make something for me. And, well, they said so, so I'm just going to get them to roll on it. It might get made, it might not. We'll find out. The more the players care and the more the players need it, the more the players are willing to describe it, the more effort that the players are willing to put into it. It can affect things a lot. Yeah. Like the, the other aspect, we've been talking about crafting a whole bunch here. But then there's also, when you're dealing with gear, you have attachments and modifying them. Mm-hmm. And there are still, I think, storytelling opportunities there. Sometimes, you know, very minor, like an example of how a threat could be used. 
in the one of the first games I got to play in where I played my my Trindoshan Kesh and I was getting our resident mechanic to mod her blaster pistol and he succeeded with a threat and we were just joking about it and then the player who's actually doing the crafting would just turn it into kind of this joke of where he had put like on the the grip of it the like some symbol I forget what we call them like some symbol of like Wookiee Trindoshan friendship or something like that <laughs> like some kind of like group that was like pro Wookiee Trindoshan relations between the two planets and while Cash was not exactly a mean slave or anything, she was very, like, cold shoulder to the party's Wookiee, and so that was just something very grumbly about her, like, like, really, you did this to me? <laughs> but is there an opportunity there to also narrate a failure to mod an aspect of, of an attachment? You know, we failed to do this on Heroes. Mm-hmm. The reason why we didn't do a narrative reason on heroes is because we just ran out of time but in trying to do this in any other sort of situation yeah there are ways of narrating this okay on heroes it was trying to adjust the weighted head that's been attached to a stun gauntlet if i remember right correct one of those is plus one damage i believe yep failing on that the thing that immediately jumps to mind is this attachment is the manufacturer's modification the manufacturer of the gauntlet's sells an aftermarket modification for this. Normally, it's something scrabbled together. Mm -hmm. But in this particular case, this attachment, which you don't have to use the mechanics rule to attach, is that manufacturer's. So modifying it more doesn't work. Like you're trying to modify something that is not manufactured to be modified. So no matter what, Kith left her mark on them. Even with the failure, did she attach additional metal to like try to harden them or something? Or did she do some technique where she was trying to just strengthen the Durasteel or whatever that makes up this thing and now it's gone from like a pretty, let's say, like gray metal to it's kind of like black or like it's been almost burned or something like you. There yeah, could be ways. That actually is a better way of looking at it. Yeah, the modification, like it's failed, but it becomes more decorative than it is functional or the the other mod we didn't go for it all on it is the uh, the concussive mod because <laughs> i ultimately didn't go for it because i already had the gauntlets already have a concussive weapon quality and frankly getting concussive too just seems mean to me <laughs> uh against your, your npcs mm. but like let's say she'd attempted that and failed that well, to me, that's almost like her modifying... I know it's the weighted head, but you can still make it a part of the larger item. Like, it's almost modifying the uh, power cell on the gloves themselves. Yeah. Maybe they're a little bit more prone to a random spark here and there afterwards. Because she she tried to tweak it, it just didn't quite pay off. Like, the power output just... She reached the ceiling on it. A near-perfect way of looking at it, yeah. So, it can it kind of extend beyond the attachment some, because it does affect... I don't know, like the item itself, because once an attachment's on, I mean, it's usually going to stay on. In fact, unless you have specific things, I think, from the modder specialization, reusing a attachment is not the easiest thing. We're not talking like the yeah. tactical attachments that you toss onto black guns. We're talking stuff that is actually crafted into it, like aftermarket parts that change the entire weapon. I guess that's sort of the biggest challenge for any of the roles, any of the scenes, is how do you make it narrative, and how do you make it interesting at the end? Because making going into a role interesting, that's relatively easy. Mm -hmm. 
because there's always a potential. There's always a potential for it succeeding. And in Star Wars, there's a potential for it succeeding with great advantage and a triumph. Mm -hmm. Like you're always that sort of hopeful person going in. The negative dice are all going to blank and you're going to get triumphs and advantages and successes. At least that's always my hope. I think that's every every player's hope. <laughs> well, I know a few that are always hoping for a despair on the roll as well, just to make things wacky. My f- general final thought on this is make the intro to the roll as interesting as possible so that when you come out of the roll, however you fail, is providing a new path forward and that it is interesting, that it's still telling a story after the roll. And that's where I will recommend Brent's technique on heroes that a lot of us have started to adapt, which is look to the dice. They can help tell the story with it. If, let's say, you have a setback die due to your shipmates are being especially loud while you're trying to modify this thing, and then that's why you failed, was that one failure, you, then you kind of blinked or whatever... That's when, you know, you can narrate it as, you know, maybe you're trying to sharpen this vibro sword and that's why it didn't work out. Like your, your hand slipped or something. There's this part of it that's just not as sharp as it could be. That's when you go yell at your shipmates because they were being too loud. So look <laughs> to see what the dice say, the boost, the setback dice. What are, like, where's the difficulty coming from? Where's your skill and your advantages and stuff coming from? Because that can all matter a great deal. Also pay attention to your setting is a big part of that. Laying in the med bay with a back to cast on. Laying in the med bay with a back to cast on, one of my damaged and now scorched rocket boots in my lap, I remove the defective thruster and reach for the small collection of parts scattered beside me on the bed. Yes, I think this is going to work much better. I come into the mid-bay, holstered draped over my back, stopping at the foot of the bed. Well, you've been here enough that you should get one of these, especially if you're going to get injured getting back to the ship. I toss up the blaster to Christine, making sure that she can see the welcome etched into the side. Catch us on the next free-falling tale from the Hydean Way. You can find show updates on Twitter at the Hydean Way, and I'm at Deuterium Ice. And you can find me, Christine, on Twitter at Twelfth Night. That's one two T H and Night with a K. And we're all at theheidianway.com, where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about on the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Hydean Way. Our podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, where you can find more episodes and help us out by reading and reviewing us. Drop us a holocom at tales at theheidianway.com. We're also on Facebook as Tales from the Hydean Way. If you like what we do and want to support the show... Uh, and future crafting checks, you can find us at patreon.com slash the Heidi and Y.